From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. Welcome back to From the Void. On this week's episode, I bring you part two of my interview with author and UFO researcher Preston Dennett. If you missed part one, pause, go back, and listen to that one first, then come back to this episode. If you've already listened, then welcome to this week's mystery with my guest Preston Dennett, part two of UFO Disclosure on From the Void. I, I, that's fascinating. First of all, um, I often wonder though if if they just at some point get frustrated with us as uh, as a planet because you know despite the fact that a large number of us uh, absolutely would agree that you know we are absolutely killing the planet and and want no part of a nuclear uh, society. It, you know, it still feels like the ones that are in power ultimately make the decisions on which course we go, and so it often to me feels like. Gosh, if I was a a much more highly evolved civilization that was visiting, I'd be like these cave people, <laughs> you know, and I would just yeah. be so frustrated. Yeah, well, we've got evidence of that. I interviewed a lady by the name of Dolly Safran, and I ended up writing a full length book on just her case called "Symmetry: A True UFO Adventure." She's a fully conscious contactee who doesn't need hypnosis, has an enormous amount of evidence supporting her case. And is absolutely for real and has had long conversations with the ETs about precisely that. They are frustrated and they are doing what they can. They have contacted governments who don't listen, who are making the wrong decisions. And that's precisely why they're doing a grassroots movement and going to the people. Because it's the people who are the most, who have the power on this planet. You know, it feels like we're being run by these 1%. That's only because we're allowing it. If everyone said, you know what? I'm not picking up another gun and fighting for you. And you know what? We're not going to allow you to fund both sides of a war. We're not going to allow you to pollute our rivers and our lakes and our oceans. If everyone just stood up and allowed love and truth to guide their actions and really worked on developing their psychic ability so that we could know if a person is lying instead of being like, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> and meandering around in the dark and just trying to survive. I mean, we would have a chance. So this is exactly what the ETs are trying to do. And this, and you'll see this, it's almost every contactee will tell you that they have a wide variety of paranormal experiences. I don't like that term paranormal. It's not accurate. There's no such thing as the paranormal or supernatural. It does not defy the laws of the universe. It's just that we don't understand what's going on here. Uh, at least the mechanics, perhaps, behind it. I think we're beginning to. So, yeah, the ETs are doing their part. It's up to us to do ours. 
stop listening to these lying government folks. I don't even like calling them government because I think there are a lot of good people in government. But these naughty folks <laughs> on my <laughs> naughty list know who they are. <laughs> yeah. It, it does feel a bit like um, the, the old saying, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but, uh, you know, if, if someone were to see technology that was 100, 200 years, you know, advanced into the future, it would seem to us like magic. And so, you know, I, so that's where I think I personally get frustrated with. Like, I, I, I'd like to keep a very, like, um, skeptical mind about things because, I, you know, to, to your point earlier, I think with the advancement in technology, at least, you know, accessible to the public, the waters are so muddied at this point with just, as you, as you said, just garbage out there that's just fake and, and, and just makes it that much more difficult to suss out the, the real deal. And, and partly that's what causes uh, such a slow release of information because real investigators like yourself have to vet out everything that they come across to, to make darn sure that this thing is the real deal before you go public. Cause your name's behind it. Um, yeah. But that's where I, I get frustrated with like, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Finding out UFOs are real. Cause I came into this field as a skeptic. I did not believe a word of it until I found out, you know, my brother had seen a UFO. My sister-in-law saw ETs, Friends, you know, members of family, my family my coworkers, Good friends were having dramatic encounters. And ironically, finding that out and realizing UFOs were real made me super skeptical, <laughs> made me question everything. To this day, I really am like, mm, I don't know if I trust anybody because I was lied to for so darn long. This subject is not being taught in schools. I was so shocked to find out that there was a cover-up. And it's not speculation at all. It's easily demonstrable. And people don't realize just how much of their own money is being spent to suppress all of this. And boy, if we could get that technology out there, we wouldn't be worrying about, you know, how much gas costs and how to warm our homes and where we're going to get the next food on our table. And uh, this subject is far more important. There are people who say, you know, I, I've never seen a UFO. It doesn't affect me. I'm like, mm, yeah, it does. You, your whole life is being affected by this UFO cover-up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's where I think I also sort of get frustrated with some of uh, mainstream science and the lack of uh, an open mind when it comes to the subject. I mean, just mathematically speaking, it's impossible even if it's a one in a million chance that life exists elsewhere in the universe then it exists a lot you know even if it's one in a million you know there are trillions upon trillions of stars out there i mean we are discovering uh planets outside of our solar system every day i mean we just they just uh started talking about um a planet they had discovered that's uh, about eight times i think they said the size of earth that that quite possibly has the materials to support life. I mean, that's just one. Um, and so it's almost ridiculous to me that we're still even having a conversation uh, to think that we are so <laughs> special that we're unique, that we're it in the entire universe. That's ridiculous yeah. to me. Well, you know, we're victims of this cover up. Honest to God, we really are. And I don't want to have a victim mentality, but it's the truth. 
This is why we're fighting an uphill battle to get people to accept the idea that there are ETs. Mm-hmm. And I see this movement in the UFO community that I find concerning, to say the least, which is that people, prominent investigators are saying, well, maybe these aren't ETs at all. Maybe it's an interdimensional intelligence that's putting on different masks to manipulate our belief system. I'm like, wait, hold on. What's your evidence for that? (laughs) Where is this coming from? Why would you say this? And I'm like, well, the UFO phenomenon is so strange. Okay. It seems to defy the laws of physics. Well, as you know it, as as we understand it, because you mentioned earlier, technology so advanced could seem like magic. And there's, you know, there's a segment of the population that truly believes this is demonic. And I've debated them. And I had to dive into demonology, which I didn't want to do, but I did. <laughs> and I've investigated hauntings that were horrific hauntings where people were possessed by dark spirits. It's a real thing. I've looked into angels. I've looked into multiple personalities. I've looked into all of this stuff. Paranoid schizophrenia. Um, every aspect of the paranormal that might be at all related to this Bigfoot. And I don't understand why major investigators will say this is not E.T. I argued with one who was quite a prominent investigator. And he basically said, oh, there's too many different types of E.T.s out there. There's little short guys and little tall guys and you know, dark skin and light skin. There's too many different types. Do you honestly believe that those are all ETs? I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) Look at people on Earth. I want to line up a thousand people from Earth, from every different culture, all the way from three feet tall to eight feet tall with every skin complexion, every eye shape, every nose shape, ears, all of it. So I can show the variety that we have on one planet. And honest to God, when people start telling me that, well, this is a phenomena that is manifesting physically (laughs) based on our belief system, and it's all about us, it's an anthropocentric theory that never pans out throughout history. But what about the crash retrievals? What about Roswell? What about the Paradise Valley crash in Arizona, Aztec, New Mexico? I mean, there's a bunch of them, Spitzberg Island and there's a good hundred easily that are pretty well verified and bodies, of course. So let's get that out there. (laughs) Explain that to me. How is that a symbolic phenomenon that's coming down to manipulate a belief system? If we've got technology (laughs) craft with beings and bodies, all bets are off at this point. We know what this is. It's extraterrestrial. Um, I will allow that someone stuff is being put under the ufo umbrella that perhaps doesn't belong there because i've interviewed people who've seen like little elf-like beings who are probably not ets <laughs> perhaps you know a what we would call crypto terrestrial perhaps or a supernatural being because uh, i do think that exists there are yeah there are ghosts there is bigfoot I got dragged into Bigfoot kicking and screaming just like the <laughs> UFOs because I didn't want to go there. I thought, you know, this is going to open up a can of worms. What if Bigfoot is real? I really don't want to look into it. But I had to, of course, because I started getting cases, especially when they were connected, which like, oh, gosh, this is going to be a can of worms for sure. And it was. But 
I think we just need to take a good hard look, stop trying so hard to pigeonhole everything and label everything, and just recognize that this is a real phenomenon, and it is extraterrestrial. At least a good portion of it is extraterrestrial. I think the evidence is conclusive, overwhelming, compelling, outstanding, whatever you want to call it, mountainous. <laughs> look at the evidence and stop relying on prior beliefs for what this might be. So let's let's talk about that, though. Uh, getting Because I'm very much on board with... with um, you know, when we're talking about this subject and, and looking for evidence, you know, the easiest thing to point at is the physical nuts and bolts type evidence. Um, and so, you know, we have uh, apparently, you know, uh, according to a uh, uh, to David Grush, who recently. Uh, oh, and first I want to I also want to mention because I think this is a huge deal that that um, people didn't really see as being as significant as it was. Because I know a lot of people within the UFO community were kind of disappointed when it was Grush and and uh, Ryan Graves and uh, David Fravor, um, three people that we had already heard do interviews before. But what was important about this is not only testifying before Congress, but they did so under oath. And right. I feel like that is a huge deal. And people, I don't think, saw the significance of that. So talk about that uh, real quick before we get into, because I, I also want to talk about sort of some of these crash retrievals as well. Yeah, I mean, this is a big deal. And certainly Grush has talked about how he's suffered reprisals. And I know of other cases, and this is well known in the UFO community, where whistleblowers have come forth and absolutely regretted it because they lost their lives or were threatened or family members threatened, or worse. I mean, it it goes right down the line. Uh, there was a guy, Dr. David Jacobs, not the researcher, a guy who worked at Vandenberg Air Force Base, who filmed a UFO circling a, a missile. He went forward and suffered incredible reprisals, threats, phone threats. They blew up his mailbox. They, tried, they told him, don't talk. He did. And if you go online, you can find his interviews. He's angry. Uh, and I've talked personally to uh, not a whole lot of whistleblowers, but a handful, because it's rare that a whistleblower comes along to my path for whatever reason. But I did talk to a guy on his deathbed in a hospital who wanted to do his part to reveal his uh, involvement in witnessing reverse engineering of UFO craft at Edwards Air Force Base. And I talked to a guy who was directly involved in the Malmstrom incident in Montana of March of 1967, where UFOs came down and basically shut off the missiles. So my point is, yeah, those three witnesses were under oath. But they are three of 3,000 people in the in the sidelines, who are scared, who are afraid to come forth, who signed non-disclosure agreements, who know stuff that would blow all of our minds because, uh, I mean, the cover-up is real. We do have these craft. A lot of people are involved, and they're going to their death, not telling anybody. I just talked to a guy, Earl Gray. He's a MUFON guy. A contactee, his mother was deeply involved in all this. 
and told him a little bit about it when he was five years old, not thinking he would remember, but he did. And uh, she was heavily involved. She's like, it's all real. These ETs are here. We have the craft, the bodies. And, and one day he told her as an adult and she turned pale and says, honey, you can't talk about that. He accidentally brought it up at school as a kind of show and tell thing. <laughs> and uh, they ended up removing all the UFO books from the school. Oh, boy. I mean, it was a big deal. This is serious stuff. There are an enormous number of people out there sitting on information that would change the world and certainly change the way we view the UFO phenomena and especially change the way we view the folks behind the cover-up. Yeah, and I think the other piece that I thought was really important was um, the, the three individuals, Grush and, and Fravor and Graves, are highly impeccable uh, professionals who are all highly intelligent individuals um, who have, you know, outstanding, uh, impressive resumes behind them. Uh, so in terms of the first sort of pioneers uh, in a way to come forward and, and go under oath, you couldn't pick three better individuals as, as it seems, um, you know, even though obviously there's been some backlash afterwards, you know, especially when it comes to Grush, uh, one one of which, you know, calling his uh, uh, mental stability into question, which I thought was rather disgusting of anyone to to put a that low, out low there for sure. <laughs> yeah, but but anyone you talk to, uh, it seems like anyone they've interviewed who have worked with them in any capacity have nothing but positive things to say about their character and and that sort of thing. So I thought that was a huge huge uh, a piece of it and the fact that again under oath means that if they are proven to be lying about any of it they go to jail yeah. like you know there's a, a big deal there's on the fence about all of this being tightly controlled propaganda like okay we're going to allow you to step forth this is what we want you to say i don't have any evidence of that but this is the what they've been doing for so long that i'm wondering about some of these witnesses, are they being encouraged to step forth and in an effort to control the narrative? Because really, we should be having people coming out there who have evidence and can spill it out right away. And he said, well, no, I don't really have any, you know, I've talked to people who've seen them. <laughs> he's, he's kind of beaten around the bush a little bit. He says he's seen some stuff and he did submit it. Uh, so we'll see. But I am getting impatient. I got involved in this field and people are like, disclosure is going to happen. You got involved in this field in a good time. It's right around the corner. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> and of course, it didn't happen. And it's just uh, a brick wall. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed to hear con Congress talking about it. But I want those c members of Congress who saw UFOs to come up and say, I saw one. I saw this. I know it's real. Say it. We need to really have truth and transparency full on. I mean, it's time to stop, you know, beating around the bush with all of this and handling it with, you know, delicate fingers. I mean, we need to just cut through all the bull. <laughs> If, if I may use that term. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and just get to the heart of the matter and say enough is enough. Tell us the truth. We know you have the craft. Roswell happened. You know, Roswell is a bit of a dead horse. People saying, ah, oh, you know, this 
Let's move beyond Roswell. No, let's not. <laughs> let's get that craft and let's see it. You know, there's a report of a UFO landing at Edwards Air Force Base from Gordon Cooper, an unimpeachable witness who saw the footage, developed it, and handed it off, and we've never seen it again. I want to see that footage. I want to see the footage of the Eisenhower meeting in 1954 at Edwards Air Force Base, which most researchers who've looked into think is a legit event. So that's what I want to see. I know this evidence is out there. Let's see the gun camera footage. I mean, Lou Elizondo said what the footage that's been made public is nothing compared to what he's personally seen. Let's see that. Yeah, and what's and again, to kind of go back to what you said earlier, too, there are a lot of uh, firsthand witnesses who, you know, to your point, have come out later sort of on their deathbeds or at least well into older age when, you know, there's less to lose, I guess, at that point. Um, you know, a lot of the witnesses around uh, the Roswell event, including uh, the, the the military official who initially, um, his name is escaping me right now, you probably know, but um, uh, the guy who originally gave the press conference and Walter and, Hout, yeah. Yeah, came out later in life and said, yeah, they gave me this scripted nonsense to read, but that's not what I saw. You know, he even came out later and said that was all nonsense. Yeah, and he saw the bodies. He did not say that for a long time due to fear of reprisals. I love the Roswell case because we tracked it from beginning to end from people who were in the radar room, people who saw this thing coming down, people who picked, you know, found the craft on their property or bits of it, people who guarded it, who stood around it, people who came up to the scene, Dan Dwyer, the fireman, Frankie Rowe, uh, who was threatened and told that she could be dog food in the desert if she says a word about this. And all the way to the people who scooped up the wreckage, people who flew the wreckage, Pappy Henderson, the people who studied it at Wright-Patterson and various other places. I mean, we've tracked this case from beginning to end. And for the Air Force to come out and say, oh, we solved it. It's a mogul balloon. Case closed. Shut up. We know that's wrong. <laughs> they were attacked immediately on all sides because they're, you know, those bodies. What about those? Oh, those are dummies. But wait, those weren't used until 1952 or was it? 54? <laughs> Some five years after <laughs> the Roswell case. We've never, can't be dummies. You're lying. And that's not what people described. So it's ridiculous that they're still not telling the truth about Roswell. And how old is that case now? 70, 80 years old. It's absurd. And we know it goes back to even earlier, the early 40s, because there was the Battle of L.A., the L.A. Air Raid. There was a case in, oh gosh, where was it? Um, the Northeast, Minnesota, I think it was. Yeah, Cape Girardeau, Minnesota, 1942 or 40. Uh, some really good witnesses to that case of a UFO crash. <laughs> so how, that's 60, 70, 80, almost 85 years now that this has been covered up. It's time to stop it. Stop it. <laughs> tell the truth. It's so much easier to tell the truth anyway. And I think maybe if we could just find a way to forgive and not, say, punish people or pursue them in terms of lawsuits uh, and just say, okay, tell the truth and you all is forgiven. 
perhaps that would open up some doors. But it's not going that way. People are suing now, suing for the truth. So, all right, let's do it that way. Fine. If, if you're not going to tell the truth willingly, we'll make you tell the truth unwillingly. It, it is very interesting because, you know, kind of following the aftermath of the, um, uh, the testimony before Congress, um, or before the committee anyway, um, what, what's interesting is sort of obviously the next logical step is, hey, these people who were first-hand witnesses that Grush claims to have spoken with, who have seen and touched and witnessed um, these craft and these beings, um, it seems that they would be the next logical ones to, to, to come forward and testify to the fact that this is what I saw. Like, we want people, as you said, who literally were firsthand witnesses who can say, yes, this is exactly what I saw and this is exactly what we worked on and that sort of thing. But yeah. now it seems like we're running into all sorts of obstacles. Um, you know, Grush said, I'd be more than willing to testify to Congress uh, or to this uh, uh, committee in a, in a skiff. But now it sounds like they're being blocked from being able to do that. And so, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it, it's just so frustrating. In, yeah. Why not bring on the contactees? NASA is completely ignoring the fact that people are being taken on board. <laughs> no word about Betty and Barney Hill and Travis Walton and the Pascagoula case, Charlie Hickson and uh, Calvin Parker. Um, let's talk about them. Let's let some of them testify. Char Sergeant Charles Moody had an onboard experience. He's a great witness. He's probably passed away at this point, but there are so many people who've had direct contact. And you're telling me you don't know what this is. Let's march these witnesses into Congress. I've got a few people who I think have enough evidence to convince anyone that this is a real phenomenon and that it is E.T. And this is not a person who saw a photograph and, you know, this sort of thing. These are people who interacted directly. Uh, this is the heart of the UFO phenomenon, contact. And they're not talking about that. They're talking about sightings mostly. Right. Uh, in terms of, you know, Daly and Moultrie in, in front of Congress <laughs> said, oh, we've collected some 400 sightings and one is a balloon and we think think it's a technology. It could be extraterrestrial. It hurt them to say it. They used that word once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but why not talk to the people who know? When, what, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring up the landing trace cases because I, I love them. They are indisputable hard evidence. Let's talk about the angel hair. People don't even know what angel hair is when I bring it up. And this is a substance that's absolutely physical evidence associated with a UFO encounter. And it's apparently the plasma fields surrounding a craft will interact with the atmosphere in a way that brings down this cotton candy spiderweb-like substance, sometimes in large numbers. There's easily 100 cases in the literature that are super easy to find. But it's been scooped up. It's been put in scientific labs in multiple countries. France had a, a really remarkable case. Italy, Australia, all across the U.S. have put this in laboratories and studied it. This is outstanding physical evidence that can't be easily explained. Let's start talking about that instead of these simple sightings, which have very little information to offer, compared to someone who's spent two hours three hours on board a craft or even far longer in a bunch of cases. 
Yeah, what's it, it is interesting to see how other countries have sort of handled the the phenomenon. Um, you know, France for one. That you met, you mentioned France uh, seem to have been a little more open about their government studies um, on the subject. But is there a sense that there are any countries that might sort of lead the way if it's not us? Oh yeah, yeah. I think we're a little bit behind the curve for sure. Uh, this subject is super popular in the U.S., and it's widely covered in the press because of that. And, you know, I've talked to people all over the world, actually. England, you know, I, I was on a radio show in France. I'm like, well, you guys are definitely ahead of us. And they got mad at me. like, no, we're not. You know, <laughs> what's that group's Sobets or No Cometa? Yes. Um, it does have government, previous government folks in it. And I brought that up. I'm like, that was... A, no, 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 no. That's not sitting government. <laughs> you know, they are covering it up worse than you guys are in the U.S. And we argued about that. And certainly, yeah, England has released a bunch of files. We have too. Canada has come forward and to a significant extent. Paul Hellyer, the former defense minister of Canada, made some very unequivocal statements about this subject. But ultimately, I think the countries that are ahead of all of us are Mexico, for one reason, because they have said it's a, a real phenomenon. They think it's extraterrestrial, period. There was an event in 1991 in uh, Mexico City during the solar eclipse where a UFO showed up over Mexico City and was videotaped 30 different times, 30, throughout the city. So you could triangulate it. So now we know exactly how high this object was and how big it was. And it wasn't a balloon. This footage is super hard to find, but you can find it. And it's some of the best footage out there. And Mexico has made very positive statements. And I'm really pleased to see that they're holding this uh, government hearing, talking about this and putting forth more evidence than we are. I mean, they're, I don't know about these little E.T. mummy bodies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll see. But it's amazing to see that this is being discussed and Chile as well and Brazil both have gone a little bit farther than we have in terms of forming an official government body that is a little bit more truthful and transparent and is saying, yes, this is a real phenomena. So there's still a lot of waffling like, oh, we don't know what this is, which I think is 100% disingenuous. Because all you have to do is pick up 10 UFO books and you'll know more about UFOs than any one of these yahoos in congress or nasa or pentagon who's barfing out a string of lies as if they don't know anything i'm like really here i've got a book for you read this one read timothy good's book top secret read jayon hynek's books read the coral lorenzen and jim lorenzen's books read one of mine <laughs> i've yes. got like 30 of them <laughs> read a book on this subject before you come and start talking publicly and saying there's nothing to this. I mean, it drives me crazy. Yeah, it's it's absolutely frustrating. Um, one of the things I want to kind of go back to, because I think it's a really interesting uh, topic that you, you briefly mentioned earlier, uh, was the, um, the Eisenhower uh, alleged meeting between Eisenhower and, you know, some government officials and uh, allegedly some, uh, some of the alien beings who came down and, and sort of had a 
closed door discussion, as it were. And what's interesting to me about this too is that more recently, Eisenhower's, I believe it was his granddaughter, yeah. has publicly said she absolutely believes that this took place. Yeah, Laura Eisenhower. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I looked into that uh, the 1954, February, I believe it was, meeting at Edwards Air Force Base in Southern California where Eisenhower and leaders from of business and religion and politics and science and even the UFO community. They brought in Gerald Light or Meadlene, one of those guys. Uh, a lot of people were apparently there who were high-level folks. And I looked into it because I was writing a book, UFOs Over California, and I ran across that because this was basically a history book of UFOs over California. This wasn't being done. Now a lot of people are covering various states, so I'm super excited about that because the subject wasn't being recorded for posterity. And so I'm looking into the Edwards Air Force Base complex and certainly ran across that story. But Edwards took up a whole chapter in the book, Edwards alone, because it had cases all the way back to 1945 of these objects coming over the base. J. Allen Hynek was there, and that's when he realized there is something to this. It changed the way the military handled the UFO phenomenon, the events at Edwards in 1945. And since then, they would have regular waves. In 1965, they had a major flyover caught on radar you can look this up the radar footage is or uh, reports is indisputable they know this is real they know what it is so my point is edwards air force base is a ufo magnet from the beginning i mean there are reports of landings like i mentioned earlier gordon cooper was there when a ufo landed on the runway and they filmed it there's case after case of insiders who say we are reverse engineering craft at Edwards. And I have one myself. So this is a series of events that is far more complex than people realize. It absolutely blows Roswell out of the water. It's much more extensive than that. And the 1954 meeting is kind of the central core of it, the crux, because when that happened... Uh, Eisenhower disappeared out of sight of public view, <laughs> March of 1954, and the press went crazy. They're like, where's the president? Did he, you know, one press said, ah, he's de dead of a heart attack, because they could not find him. And he later said, oh, no, it was a dental emergency. Well, researchers have tracked down the dentist, and they're like, mm, no, no. <laughs> it's, and they have a person who specializes at, in the archives on calls coming in about this trying to you know debunk it and just handle all the publicity that's surrounding this event because a lot of researchers have looked into it and there's the more time that goes by the more evidence that's coming out immediately after the event there were reports whistleblowers saying that this meeting happened and in essence what happened was as far as i can tell <laughs> Because I'm not a, you know, this isn't my specialty. I'm more into the contactee thing. But I looked into this. I'm following the reporting on it. Uh, UFOs did land. It was a planned meeting. They were government officials were warned about this. We're going to come down. We're going to have a diplomatic meeting. And I think this was one of the last because, in essence, what happened was these were essentially human-looking ETs, 
And Eisenhower, according to some sources, was actually taken on board and given a ride and taken back down. And they demonstrated how they can turn their ships invisible and turn at right angles. And they wanted us to disclose. And we said, no, we're not going to do that. Can you give us your technology? And they said, no, we're not giving you technology. You need to teach people to about spirituality. You're lagging behind in terms of morals and ethics. You're abusing your technology. No, we're not giving you technology. You need to stop your nuclear program immediately because it's causing all kinds of problems. You're going to destroy yourself. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. So there was an impasse. And there's some, I honestly think, disinformation going on about some Granada Treaty or some treaty where we allowed abductions to take place in exchange for technology. Um, I have, don't think that that, I followed the reporting on that. I think it's disinformation. I don't believe it for a second. ETs would not hand over technology to an abusive government. Uh, and besides, they don't need an agreement. They can do what they want. <laughs> They've been scooping up people before that, and they're doing it after that. So I don't think that's credible. But the, this incident absolutely did happen. And there was a number of researchers right off the bat who jumped on this. Brinsley Laporte Trench, I think, was one of the first. A, a French researcher who reported on it. But since then... Yeah, the evidence that that took place is outstanding. And I think it's absolutely a true event. And someday we'll learn more about it, I hope. I'm not holding my breath. But, yeah, I don't think that so-called treaty ever happened. I don't find that believable. I, I talked to Dolly Saffron about that, actually, because she's talked with the ETs. And they told her, yeah, Roswell did happen. Yes, that meeting did happen, but no, we have never made any treaty with any government. We do not interact with them at all anymore because they are making poor decisions. They cannot be trusted. Yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense because, you know, if they had handed us technology, you'd think they would have given the instructions with them instead of having us for decades trying to reverse engineer these these craft after they've either crashed or, or allegedly, apparently, a uh, according to Grush, like in some instances, just straight out stole them. Um, you'd think that if we had some sort of agreement, then we'd be a lot further along in that project than still decades later, sort of still trying to figure out how they work. Yep, I 100% agree. <laughs> I mean, it's fun, I know there's some good, you know, the funny thing about crash retrievals is it's all anecdotal. <laughs> it's really unfortunate because here's the best evidence we could ever have, absolutely conclusive, and it's relying solely on eyewitness testimony. <laughs> but, you know, the Roswell, of course, has several hundred witnesses and a hundred books, a hundred books on Roswell. <laughs> I've got about 10 of them. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I can't buy any more <laughs> Roswell books. <laughs> but it's interesting to me because, uh, I mean, there's so, so many of these cases, and there's reporting on a UFO that was recovered that we can't even get inside. We can't open it. <laughs> and some of them we open up and we look inside, and there's nothing in there. There's no noticeable furniture or panels or controls or, you know, even what we would think of as a power source. But and I think the reason is is because we don't understand this technology 
that is, is in fact, because I've talked to the contactees and they have asked about this. These ships are flown psychically. The, the ships themselves are entities or embodied, rather. Um, they're partly biological. And every single person who's been pulled on board a UFO and taught how to fly these darn things, and there's a lot of them. This was all, you know, what Dolly Saffron talked a lot about. They taught her how to fly the craft. And I believed her because I'd had several witnesses who were describing the same thing well before I came across her case. But then Brant Cameron, Canadian researcher, just put out a book called Sky Pilots. And he outlined some 60 cases of people who are are saying the same thing. And he said in every single case he researched, the people who are piloting these craft are being told how they work. It is done psychically. So this is how far behind we are in understanding ET technology. It is absolutely consciousness-based. So it's going to be a long road for terms of reverse engineering. We're not going to get there. To, but I don't want to say that completely because a lot of the stuff we're seeing now, is absolutely, there is anti-grav craft. The TR-3B is often cited as being reverse engineered ET technology. And the guy I talked to, who was at Edwards Air Force Base, saw a UFO in a hangar floating there. And you know, I'm shortening the story, but he found out, he was told after a big back and forth that this wasn't a UFO. This was reverse engineered from ET technology. Um, and it was flied, fly, was flown using uh, magnetic fields so yeah <laughs> our understanding of et tech we have some of it uh, we are flying these around i was told way back in the late 1980s early 1990s that at least 20 25 of what people are seeing is our own so we have to be really careful now when we're seeing stuff in the sky that seems to defy what we think of as conventional aircraft because a lot of it is being piloted by humans who are the folks behind the cover-up, who don't have our best interests in mind, and are you know, actually nefarious. <laughs> They're the ones I'm scared of. There is an ET threat, and it's to them, their power structure, their control over the populace. They're holding on to the technology. That's the threat. It's the people on Earth I'm worried about, not the ETs. Yeah, for for folks listening who don't know what the T, um, well, shoot, now the TR three B, TR three B, yeah, that's a top secret project, um, and, and those are like the black triangular shaped craft, correct? Yeah, yep, exactly. The tri- I was looking through my files because Dolly, I keep bringing her up because <laughs> she really connected a lot of the dots for me. She's like, no, 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 the. ETs don't really fly triangular craft. And I started arguing with her. I'm like, no, I think you're wrong about that. She's like, no, no, no. I, I'm pretty sure I'm right. You know, I've worked with them. So I looked through all my files and I was shocked. I don't have triangular craft. People are describing boomerang craft, saucers, mm-hmm. egg-shaped objects, spheres in some cases. Saucer is absolutely the most common. Cigar-shaped, but from a certain angle. And, and let's face it, this tech is a technology that they can change their shape and size if they want. 
And they do. So it's a little confusing. And this is why I think some researchers are like, well, maybe this is an ET. <laughs> because, look, it's changing its shape and it's doing all these weird stuff that we don't fully understand. I'm like, well, yeah, you don't understand it. Talk to the contactees and you'll get a clue as to what's going on. And I just want to underline that because everything we know that's at all legitimate about extraterrestrials comes from one source, the contactees. It's not our governments. We cannot trust them. Yes, they're feeding us information, but it's not trustworthy. And it's not the pundits on TV who haven't even read a UFO book and are calling themselves scientists, but are refusing to examine the evidence. And I'm pointing to, I mean, I'll name a couple, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'd like to talk to him. Oh, <laughs> me and you both. <laughs> and say, listen, you know, I, I'd really like to dig into this with you. Michio Kaku, who said, you know, why doesn't someone just take off an, a clock from a UFO? Or um, Carl Sagan said, like an ashtray. I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> Have you talked to people who've been on board? You know, in fact, the very first well-known contactee, Antonio Villas, Bullis was taken on board. He's the first publicized case of a person being taken on board. He tried to steal something from the UFO and they weren't having it. And they, that ended his contact right then and there. And I looked into it. There are cases of people who've been given objects and often they are immediately, uh, I was going to say attacked in a sense attacked, but approached, <laughs> hostily by the government agents who take all the uh, stuff that they were given. So there, there are people who have had artifacts uh, from UFOs. And there was a case in Ecuador, I think it was, reported by Jimmy Zhu, a French researcher, where two boys were using their flashlight in Morse code and had a UFO land, and they went on board and had an, a, a friendly interaction gave the ETs their flashlight, and the ETs gave them a flashlight of some kind, which probably had more uses <laughs> than ours. <laughs> but yeah. they unboarded the UFO and were running home when helicopters and jeeps came up, scooped them up, and apparently paid them off because you cannot find them anymore. Uh, it's you know I didn't investigate that case, but I know of cases like this. I mean, there was a guy... Constance Clear invested this case. She's a, a researcher, a guy from Texas, who said it, that he was given a gift by the ETs. The ETs said, thank you for working with us. For working with us, we're going to give you this little gift. It's a sort of galena. It's iron ore is what it looked like. And they said, it'll appear in, your, you know, in a place, in a location where you'll recognize it. And it was on his dresser <laughs> following a contact. And he didn't tell anybody. He, he called up his researcher and said, I'm coming over. I'd like to see you. And was driving there when he was run off the road by so, you know, not the men in black ET types, but government agents who ran him off the road, took all his contact papers, threatened him not to talk about it, took the artifact. And he's like, you can't do this. I'll sue you. I have rights. And they said, do what you want. We can do what we want. I wouldn't talk about this if I were you and uh, basically threatened him and took all the material. So my point is some people have gotten artifacts, but it's not as easy as you might think when you're having ET 
uh, an onboard experience to just grab something. Because every case I've looked into, it's not been successful. And I found about five or ten people who tried to sneak something in their pocket. <laughs> didn't work. It just didn't work. So, you know, with all due respect to Carl Sagan, you try getting a piece of a UFO. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, even photographing a UFO is not easy. It's a rare contactee who gets really good photos of a UFO. And they're having regular contact. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the frustrating part about uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's sort of uh, hesitancy to support uh, the, the movement is, you know, where's where are the good non-blurry pictures? And then I think his other, the, the part that bothered me the most, I think, about his response initially was uh, something to the effect of uh, the distance are too, the distances are too fast, vast for anyone to, to travel. And I thought that's sort of like akin to saying, you know, back in the 1800s, well, we've got this steam engine. This is about as good as it's ever going to get, you know, and not thinking that, well, perhaps in another 100, 200 years, we'll have something vastly superior to this. I mean, we weren't thinking of stealth bombers back in 18, (laughs) whatever, you know. And so it it seems to me that like, if, if we are acknowledging the fact that there could be uh, civilizations out in the vast universe uh, and it is extraordinarily vast. Um, in fact, I would use Neil deGrasse Tyson's own work uh, to support that. If you've ever seen the very first episode of um, his version of Cosmos, where they sort of do the visual demonstration of just how massive the universe is. Um, again, it goes back to, you know, the math just says we are, we cannot be alone. Um, but to think that, you know, there may be much older civilizations out in that vast universe. Uh, who's to say that they haven't cracked the, the mystery of uh, long distance travel, you know, and again, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier, anti-gravity technology, the science supports the idea that you could in effect fold space time in half and leapfrog these massive distances. So I just don't understand his hesitancy to, even be slightly open-minded to the idea that there, that we may not be alone and we may be uh, visited now and, and, and have been visited many times in the past. Yeah. It's one of my complaints about mainstream science. It kind of builds itself into a limited point of view, a box of anything that doesn't fit the accepted paradigm is rejected. And if you look at the work of Michael Cremo, Forbidden Archaeology, it's shocking because, you know, in terms of just anthropology and the modern age of humans, people were bringing all kinds of evidence that shows that there were ancient civilizations and it was being rejected. And it was funny when we were back in history, a couple of hundred years, people were getting to the point of being able to traverse big distances and exceed the speed of sound. There was a whole group of scientists that said, We'll never exceed the speed of sound, and doing so will kill you. <laughs> you will not be able to survive going faster than the speed of sound, which was, of course, absolute nonsense. And this, uh, you know, I bought that hook, line, and sinker in terms of the stars are too far away because I was really into astronomy. I love science because this is true knowledge that you can sink your teeth into and you can't dispute. And if you know how far the star's away, you're going, it's mind-blowing. They're very far away. Then again, there's no evidence that ETs are using propellants. And you could never in a million years, literally, (laughs) 
fly from star to star using gasoline or propellants or even an ion engine. I mean, it would just take too darn long. It's not going to happen. And we're seeing UFOs here in large numbers. Uh, I mean, some there are cases like the Farmington UFO display in 1956 or 7, was it? Where over New Mexico, people were seeing hundreds of craft. There's some cases involving quite a large number of these objects. Uh, where are they coming from? Uh, it's, and some of these UFOs are really quite small. So, And there's a lot of speculation about mother ships, which is probably true. But even then, where are they coming from? Uh, I think you're absolutely right. They have mastered interstellar travel. And if you talk to the contactees, it's absolutely true. Uh, they don't use propellants. Case after case after case, people are taken down to the engine room and explained exactly how these craft work. Work. Um, some people, you know, they don't have a whole lot of science background, so it's hard to understand. They come away with some idea that this involves electromagnetism, you know, free, um, anti-gravity, um, harnessing the magnetic fields of our planet, this sort of thing. There's certainly uh, interplanetary travel, which apparently I mean, these craft are going some 20,000, 30,000 miles an hour. But they're traversing star systems as well, because there are contactees who report going to other planets. And I asked Dolly, I know we dug into this in the book Symmetry, because she had a lot of information about it. And she says, yeah, what they do is open up a light gate. It's an interdimensional thing. It's not a wormhole. It's not a black hole or anything like that. It's a way of very much like Einstein said of folding space. Or I mean, she's got her own explanation. She could probably describe it better than I could. But it's traveling interdimensionally, in essence, um, leaving the physical third dimension and then coming back out at the desired location. So they can do extraordinary long distances in an instant. So it's it's easy for them to travel from star to star. Uh, so it's absurd to say that, oh, no, no, that stars are too far away. And I love your analogy. <laughs> like in the new world, when people are like, it takes three months to go from England <laughs> to the U.S. on a little ship, because that was the best technology we had at that time. And then we got airplanes, and we could do it <laughs> in a few hours. And we're still improving that. Uh, and, man, oh, man, if we could get that absolute interdimensional technology, we'd be flying to other star systems at this point. It's too bad if we were a moral society, we could have been there by this point. We could have had open official contact and interaction in a real friendly way. But no, that's not happening because our governments, our secret governments, the cabal, call them what you want, are ruining everything for everybody. Shame on them. They're going to get their just desserts one day. Yeah, agreed. And and it it is it is massively frustrating because you know as someone who grew up also just loving astronomy and space and uh, you know as a kid I remember we had a um, like a drawing um, raffle type thing in class when I was in I think sixth grade and uh, there was a cassette series on Halley's comet and I was like praying that that would still be there by the time I got to pick, you know, like, <laughs> like no one else has taken that, you know, and, but, um, 
you know, I was, I was so into that and just the idea of being able to see what other planets might look like and, and other, uh, star systems. But, um, and I know we're running way over on time here, but I, one last question for you, uh, since we're on the subject, do you get any sense from the contactees, uh, that any of these, um, civilizations that are visiting are from like other galaxies entirely? Cause that would be a really impressive feat of, you know, talk about traveling long distances. Uh, no, no, I, I, I don't get that. What I have heard, well, Dolly Safran, she says they, they actually come from one of the uh, star clusters in the Orion constellation. And that really resonated with me because that's exactly what Mike Wing told me. Uh, and that's exactly what a number of contactees have told me. And certainly we've had some indication of ETs coming from this area or that area. Uh, but I don't have any cases personally from ETs from another galaxy. Uh, I'm not going to say that that couldn't happen. I'm sure they have the technology to do that. I'll have to ask Dolly about that because <laughs> she, she probably would have some information. Uh, but no, nothing comes to mind. I don't want to completely rule it out because I haven't really looked into that. Uh, there's not a lot of information about where these guys come from. Because sometimes the ETs seem a little bit reluctant to answer that question. Like, where are you from? Uh, like the Betty and Barney Hill case. They said, well, you wouldn't really understand. And uh, another case I investigated, they said, well, we're from a place you don't know about yet. I'm like, well, that doesn't say a whole lot. So, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I understand that. I mean, if we are as hostile as we are showing ourselves to be, it might not be a good idea. I wouldn't tell someone who's that violent where I lived. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> that would be stupid. Yeah. Fair, fair point. <laughs> well, um, I know we went way over in time, so I really appreciate, uh, you, you coming on again and uh, always fascinating. And I was really excited to have you back on specifically because, uh, UAPs, UFOs, whatever, uh, you want to call them are such a huge topic of conversation right now. And, um, I really hope that, that after decades of research that, that you and I both get, uh, to enjoy some level of disclosure, no matter where it comes from, uh, hopefully we'll push, uh, hard enough to get, you know, what we already know to be true, but get confirmation. I think that would be obviously, um, very satisfying for all of us. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting. Absolutely. Well, thanks again uh, so much. Before I let you go, uh, where can people go to stay up on top of your work, uh, get a copy of one of your books, and, and all that good stuff? Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, I do have a website, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. If you punch my name in the internet, it'll take you there. But certainly, I uh, also have a YouTube channel. I'm all over social media, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Twitter, and Instagram. And my books are available at online retailers like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and bookstores, of course. But I really do appreciate you having me on the show. <laughs> I feel like this is a really important topic, especially now. There's been a real change in the way people are looking at this phenomenon and taking it seriously. So it's a good time to be a UFO researcher and, for that matter, a contactee. Because now people are finding the courage to step forward and being believed so it's a pretty exciting time.
Absolutely. And, and things have changed, uh, exponentially even in the, the year or two since last we spoke. So, um, again, I, pr- I just appreciate your time and, and coming on and, uh, uh, thanks again. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode, part two with my guest, Preston Dennett. We'll be back next week with an all new mystery. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the past episodes, consider giving us a five-star review on Apple podcasts and sharing with a friend. We'll see you next week. And until then you've been listening to from the void.